0: To all my artists, crafters, and makers, you were never meant to create this way. Caged by shame that whispers, you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, you will never be successful. No, you were born to create with wild and abundant joy, with reckless abandon, unfettered feeling, and the easy peace of unshakable assurance. Here at Wild Making, we are reclaiming this birthright together, untaming the shit out of our art and rewilding our relationships with our creative work. I'm your host, author, and creative wellness coach, Kristen Keeper. Let's get started. One thing that pretty much every coach on the planet and many others besides, can tell you is that we as humans often have a tendency to make more of a mess inside of our lives than there even is. Our brains have this tendency to create problems where there don't even need to be problems. And that is exactly what we're going to talk about today because these, what I like to call the faux problem phenomenon, is a direct result of Nine times out of ten of shame. So let's get into it. As we talked about in episode one, there are three core components of shame, and two of them directly feed into creating this faux problem phenomenon. One of those components says that there is a right way and a wrong way to do things that would otherwise be pretty morally neutral. So we're not talking about causing harm here. Obviously, causing harm is wrong as compared to not causing harm, which is tends to be right in a sense. What I'm talking about here is, for example, the idea of writing or creating every day versus writing or creating only occasionally. I think most of us can agree that those Choices, those activities, are perfectly morally neutral, and yet we often as creatives internalize this message that creating every day is the right way to do things. It's what real creatives do, and that creating only occasionally is a lesser than. It's the wrong way to do things. And what shame says is that if you do things the wrong way, then you are less worthy of love and acceptance. Another core component of shame is that shame pathologizes your so-called wrongness. It insists that if you are doing something the wrong way, then there must be something wrong with you. Something problematic, something broken, something in need of fixing, something that you need to fix as soon as possible in order to prove that you are good enough or to be good enough to earn that love and acceptance and belonging and respect and dignity that you crave, that you otherwise do not have right now, at least in some capacity, because shame tells you that you are lesser than. What these two core components of shame create is what I like to call the faux problem phenomenon, which is can kind of be described as the intense doubts and emotional overwhelm that accompany the belief that you are doing things wrong or that there's something wrong with you. And this heavy weight of shame often heaps a world of stress onto your plate as a creative and as a human being that can steal your joy and your drive to create. And the worst part is that none of this stress needs to exist in the first place because in reality, in an unshamed perspective, there's no problem at all. There's nothing wrong with you at all. There's nothing to fix at all. So to better or more fully give you an understanding of what the faux problem phenomenon is, let's take a look at it in action. Here is an example for you. I'm going to use a writing example because I am a writer. So let's say that you fell in love with writing while penning little steamy romance stories on the weekends on your days off from work. And you always loved that writing time. It was a joy and a pleasure. It was a fun escape from the everyday stress of your life. And so on the weekends, you often wrote really prolifically without even trying because you were just enjoying yourself. You were completely lost in your story. But one day, Maybe a friend said something to you about, you know, oh, you know, you told me that you're writing those stories. How's that going? Are you going to pursue publishing them? And you're like, oh, maybe I should pursue publishing them. I should learn more about that. I should see what I need to do to publish. So you go online and start to look up information about publishing. And that's when you first stumble across this idea that real writers treat writing like a job that real writers sit down to work on their stories every single day. This is a very common narrative in the writing world, and it's one that as a writer and someone who taught about writing that I (laughs) admittedly used to buy into for, for years, really. And of course, this is a shame story. Of course, this is a shame narrative because it's saying that if you want to be a real writer, If you want to do things the right way and not the wrong way, where you aren't really a real writer, then you need to write every day or every weekday. You need to write with a whole lot of really frequent consistency. And so, of course, most of us in this situation are going to internalize this message a little bit and begin to feel a creeping sense of shame, using our example, for only writing on the weekends. So maybe you decide that you're going to try writing every day, too, because you want to be a real writer, you want to publish, you want to succeed. And what you come to learn as you start to try writing every single day is that writing after a very long, mentally draining day at your day job feels like pulling teeth. You don't want to do it. You you don't want to do it at all. There's no motivation there because you're exhausted but you don't also just want to go back to writing on the weekends because now you don't view that as good enough. You view it as kind of the wrong way to do things. You know, if you write just on the weekends, then you may never make it anywhere with your creative work. So you push through. You drag yourself to that blank page every day after work, even when you hate every minute of it, until the day comes when you just cannot do it. You just your your brain is done. You cannot do it. You decide you're going to take a break. You tell yourself, just one day, I'm just going to take one day of a break. That won't mean I'm not a real writer or anything. I can take one day of a break and then I'm going to get back to it. Except for the part where you enjoy taking your break so much, it feels like such an immense relief that when the next day comes around and it's been another long day at work, you can't seem to drag yourself back to your stories. And then the next day, and the next day, and the next day, you keep not writing. And as you keep not writing, you feel yourself filling up with more and more guilt, more and more shame. Pretty soon, you aren't writing at all, even on the weekends like you used to, because it all just feels so pressurized and shame-fueled, and you feel like shit. Shame and self-loathing just dominate your emotional landscape. You keep telling yourself, I just need to sit down and write, and maybe on occasion you do. Maybe you do pressure yourself and willpower your way through and get a few words down, but it always kind of feels like torture. You never really want to do it anymore, and you reach a point where you can barely remember the joy that you used to feel for writing anymore. This is the faux problem phenomenon. The really sneaky way that shame can make something that is not a problem into a problem inside of your own brain and heap an endless amount of stress and self-loathing onto your plate, again, because of a circumstance that never needed to be a problem in the first place. As a coach, this is something I see happening inside of creative's brains all the time because it's very... Normal. We're all human. We all internalize shame stories. And it's very easy to buy into a shame story because what all shame narratives are selling you is the idea that if you do not do something a certain way or if you are not inherently a certain way, then you are lesser than and undeserving of love and dignity and respect and belonging. And those are basic human needs. So, of course, that's going to trigger a very real fear inside of your body. Of course you are going to want to do things the right way so people will love and respect you, so people will think you're doing a good job, so people will think that you're good enough. Of course you're going to do that. It is so very easy to buy into shame narratives and create faux problems inside of your own head. With all of that said, let's talk about how we can go from faux problems to no problems. (laughs) So one key step, one key way here to untame your art and rewild your relationship with your creative work is to unpathologize whatever it is that you're making yourself wrong for doing or thinking or creating or being. Whatever it is that feels like a problem, we need to unpathologize that and fully recognize that that is not a problem. So if you remember from the first episode, the third core component of shame is that shame tends to marginalize and demean by pretty much speaking to you as a bully. It says things like, you're the problem here, you're doing this to yourself, you're being too sensitive or too dramatic, you're being too weak, you need to stop sulking and whining and you know your your pain your emotional discomfort in the situation doesn't matter pull yourself up by your bootstraps start showing up differently make yourself right so that you're going to be good enough if you want any sort of love or respect right that's the kind of message that shame sells us and that shame tells us other people can say these types of things to us in the midst of a shame fueled situation And we can say these things to ourselves inside of our own minds. We can be this bully to ourselves. So if you have ever been trapped inside of a shame story, specifically, especially inside of your creative practice, then it's likely that you've been talking to yourself this way. You have been bullying yourself for doing things the quote-unquote wrong way and for not being quote-unquote good enough. Last episode, we talked about the skill of speaking kindly to yourself and how this can help you intercede in the midst of those kind of shame-fueled thoughts with a whole lot of love and compassion for yourself. And being able to do this, practicing this skill of speaking kindly to yourself, is key. It's, it's really key to unshaming because shame cannot survive, it cannot exist anymore in the presence of of a loving witness. Shame looks at your pain and tells you that it's a problem and you're a problem or maybe that it doesn't even exist at all and you're making it all up in your head and blah, blah, blah. Shame takes your emotional pain and demeans it, marginalizes it, oppresses it. So the opposite of that is taking your pain in the midst of a situation and loving it, seeing it, embracing it, recognizing it, accepting it. And you can be this sort of loving witness for yourself. You can look at the things that have felt like problems inside of your creative practice that actually do not need to be problems. And you can heap a whole lot of love and acceptance onto them. But speaking kindly to yourself in this way can be difficult without kind of context, without an understanding of why you're showing up in ways or why you have these kind of faux problems in the first place. So let's do a little activity here, okay? Pinpoint for me, if you will, an area of shame inside of your creative practice. Something that for you feels like a problem that maybe doesn't have to be. Once you have that thing in mind, it could be, for example, um, procrastination. Maybe you've been procrastinating your creative work a lot. Maybe you've been writing less frequently or less consistently as you'd like. Maybe you've got a bunch of doubts that you're frustrated that you you have. Maybe, you know, those sorts of things. Something of that nature. Even if it feels like a real problem and you can't really see how it might be a faux problem, still work with me here. Let's Let's go through this activity. So once you have that problem in mind, I want you to ask yourself, What have I been making this problem mean about me? So what is the shame story you're telling yourself here? How are you pathologizing this? What is your diagnosis here? So maybe you're telling yourself that you're lazy, that you completely lack a work ethic, that you're not original enough or not creative enough, that you're not talented enough. A lot of those enough words are going to come into play here. And maybe you're telling yourself that you're never going to succeed. No one's ever going to love your work. That if you try to become an artist, you're just going to be a starving artist. You're going to have to hang your head and go ask a family member for financial help because you're not going to cut it. Like what, There's could be a million things here, but what are you making this problem mean about you? And then the second question I want you to ask yourself, and this is a bit of a tricky one. Sometimes we need other people to help us discover the answer to this question which is this is a lot of what i do as a creative coach but what is the seed of beauty or intelligence or possibility in this problem another way that i like to ask this question is what could be good about this behavior that you don't like what could be good about this doubt that you have or How is this behavior or this doubt serving you? There are different ways we can kind of frame this question, but let me go ahead and give you some answers to this question so you can start to get an idea of what I'm talking about. So a really big example that I use all the time is procrastination. So many creatives procrastinate their creative work because more often than not, procrastination is a instinctual defense mechanism that your body employs. It encourages you to procrastinate as a way of trying to protect you from some sort of threat it has sensed, it has perceived inside of your creative practice. Usually this threat boils down to some form of the fear of criticism or judgment or rejection. If creating feels stressful because you're afraid that you're going to share your art with the world, for example, and everybody's going to hate it, then of course, you you may end up procrastinating making art because it feels stressful. It feels like a threat. It feels terrifying. The what-ifs are rumbling around in your head. And so in this way, procrastination is actually a really beautiful thing because it's your body trying to protect you from a threat. Yes, fr- uh, procrastinating is frustrating, right? And yet there's a seed of beauty here. There's a seed of intelligence or possibility here your body is trying to protect you that's a beautiful thing and something that can give you the context that you need to start offering yourself love and compassion in the midst of this frustration you're experiencing this is how you can unshame the behavior of procrastination another example is you know what if what if the reason that you're experiencing a creative block isn't because you're not creative enough or you lack an imagination or whatever. Maybe the reason you're experiencing this block is because you are burned out. You've been working on your work and there's a lot of other stuff going on in your life and you're just completely burned out and in desperate need of rest. That's a seat of intelligence in there. That's something you can work with, right? Maybe creating less frequently is actually the thing that would allow you to spend more time with your kids while they're young. That's a seed of beauty. Or maybe low motivation inside of your creative practice is actually a sign that you're not creating the type of creative work that truly lights your soul on fire. So maybe the seed of intelligence or possibility there is this this knowledge that you're not creating what you truly want to create and so there's the opportunity for you there to make a change and rediscover motivation and drive and the energy to create and that's it that's the activity these two simple questions what have i been making this so called problem mean about me and what could actually be a seed of beauty or intelligence or possibility in this problem what could be good about this problem how could this problem actually be serving me? What could this problem actually be trying to tell me? Because when we dig into why we're doing what we're doing in the first place, when we dig into why this faux problem exists in the first place, why we're unhappy with it in the first place, what we actually discover is our humanity. Something about us that makes us human. We need rest. We need to feel safe. We want to spend time with our loved ones. We want to do things that we actually enjoy, right? So what we discover in the midst of these faux problems is our humanity. And we get this beautiful opportunity to meet ourselves in our humanity, to meet the real us. So whatever your answers to these questions please don't treat these questions as holding the key to fixing the problem that is you, because that's just shame talking, right? If you decide to really sit down and and do this activity, maybe journal through it or something like that, please answer these questions because you want to just get to know yourself better. Because you want to meet yourself fully for the first time. And when I say meet yourself fully, what I'm talking about is the true you that lies hidden beneath all of those layers of shame that insist that you're a problem. Right? You know the you that's been within a cage. I want you to get to know the you that exists outside of the cage. So by meeting yourself where you are, By getting to see the beauty, the wisdom, the intelligence, the possibility, what is good or what might be serving you inside of who you are and how you've been behaving, how you've been showing up or not showing up or whatever this faux problem is, by meeting yourself where you are, you're going to gain the understanding, the context, the knowledge, the perspective that you need to start speaking to yourself more kindly, to start showing yourself that that love and compassion, to start being that loving witness for yourself so that shame can no longer thrive. And what you're doing here is ultimately just honoring the shit out of your gloriously messy humanity rather than denying the fact that you are simply human, right? Because that's what shame wants us to do. Shame wants us to think that we're a problem instead of just human. And none of this, none of this is to say that you must remain where you are inside of your creative practice forever. This is not to say that, you know, by by me saying, for example, that procrastination is not a problem that you need to solve. That's not to say that you can't want to procrastinate less. But if you treat it as a problem to be solved, what you're going to do is try to be, you're going to be trying to grow from a place of shame. This is a problem. I need to fix it, right? And instead, by embracing yourself fully, no matter where you are, what you're able to do is reduce all of that stress and that pressure, all of that shame. You're able to unshame all that stress and that pressure and that shame that are stealing your joy, that are stealing your drive. And you're able to see the real you for the first time and ask yourself, what do I want? What am I motivated to do right now? How do I want to grow because I love myself and I want to see myself thrive rather than because I feel like I am lesser than and a problem to be fixed? It's from that point on, it's, it's from that point that you can begin to procrastinate less and work to procrastinate less because you want to. Because creating is something, creating more is something you genuinely want to do right? Not because it feels like this problem to be fixed. So in short, meeting yourself in the midst of whatever faux problem is happening, meeting yourself there and loving yourself there is the work of unshaming it is the work of rewilding your art and when you're able to kind of unpack something that feels like a problem and recognize that it never needed to be a problem in the first place what you do is tap into so much more energy to start showing up and creating in the way that you genuinely want to create That is a rewilded relationship with yourself and your creative work. And I hope that this simple activity today will be the next step you can take to start creating that for yourself. Thank you for joining me for this week's Wild Making. If this episode felt like coming home to yourself as an artist or a maker, consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing to help this podcast reach more creatives like yourself. And for more on untaming your art, be sure to follow me on Instagram at Kristen underscore Kiefer. You can also check out my current coaching offers and subscribe to receive weekly wisdom-packed emails in your inbox for free at KristenKiefer.co. Cool? Until next time, shine on my friend.